please remain standing for the gospel lesson. Hear now these words from the gospel of Mark. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the throng of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. The gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. On this first Sunday in 2024, I want to take you back in time. Let's go back 200 years. The year is 1824. And historians have called that a time in which the second great awakening was happening in America. Revival spirit was sweeping across our nation. And churches were being established in every village, in every town, in every city. There was a spirit of passion for Christ. And people were joining the church in droves. The leaders of this movement, from a Methodist standpoint, Francis Asbury, Thomas Koch, Harry Hoosier, Richard Allen. They were the giants who preached at camp meetings and revival services, and people came to know Christ as Lord and Savior. The Second Great Awakening, it took place roughly from 1800 until 1830. And you've seen the churches that have been established during those years. I served one of them. My very first appointment was Ebenezer Methodist Church in Monroe County. It was established in 1823 by some circuit riding preachers. Every year for homecoming, uh, we would go from the new building and go down a dirt road several hundred yards to the old building and the cemetery. We would clean it up and I'd go inside that old sanctuary with a tin roof, wooden siding, wooden floor, no pews in there anymore. And I could almost hear the echoes as the people sang the hymns the preaching, and the praying of the people. You've seen those churches. You've ridden the rural roads of Georgia. You've seen them by the side of the road. Some of them in great disrepair now, covered in kudzu. 
the general board church and administration tells us that 75% of the Methodist churches established during that time now have less than 100 members and less than 50 on Sunday morning. That was several years ago. I imagine many of those have closed in the days since. And I sort of scratch my head and wonder what happened. Oh, sociologists will tell you that uh, the Industrial Revolution happened. We moved from being an agrarian society to one that people left the towns and villages and went to work in the urban areas in factories. And that partly explains it. But I also think that the author of Revelation had some insight when he wrote his letter to the seven churches in Asia Minor. And he said to them, at least to one of them, you're doing pretty well, but I have this one thing against you. You've lost your first love. You know what it's like to lose your first love, don't you? Full of passion, full of energy and enthusiasm, and then it sort of just drifts away. I'm thinking about the couple. They've been married for over 60 years. They're riding to town in the pickup truck, and she looks over at him, and she says, do you remember when we used to sit side by side in this truck? And do you remember how you would slip your arm around me and at the stoplight, you would lean over and steal a kiss from me. What happened to that man? And he looked at her and said, I haven't moved. <laughs> I wonder if that's what God thinks of us. We, we pray to God, God, do you remember when we were so close? Do you remember when I felt your presence each and every day, when I felt like you were with me at work and at home and at church? where are you, God? And I think God responds, I haven't moved. I'm here. You're the one that's drifted away. And you know how it is. It happens. Our, our relationship with God ebbs and flows. There are times we feel close to God and sometimes we feel distant. The early church dealt with that. For the first two centuries, the church was trying to deal with how to be faithful disciples of Jesus Christ in a pagan world. And it seemed like that the people had one foot in the church and one foot in the pagan world. When they were at church, they professed their faith in Christ, but they went back to their old habits when they got out of church. And the church leader said, you can't do that. You got to get both feet in the church. You've got to commit yourself wholly to Christ. I think that's what the writer of Revelation was getting at, you've lost your first love. You've got to put both feet in your relationship with Christ. The early church dealt with it, understood that it was an issue that people uh, had certain habits, uh, certain things that they did, and it was hard to break those habits. And so the church discovered that it was helpful to offer some new rituals and some new holy habits that helped people develop a more a lifestyle that was more in keeping with being a disciple of Jesus Christ. One of those holy habits was worship. Worshiping every week with the faithful. 
Some of you get my e-note that comes out on Friday and I suggested that the beginning of a new year, uh, make a New Year's resolution to worship at Peachtree Road at least 90% of the time. 90%, that's 45 times a year. And we offer all kinds of options. Uh, There's the 8.45, the 10 o'clock, the 11.15 on Sunday. There's noon on Wednesday. And then there's online, and yes, online counts to the 90%. And so we ought to be able to do that, and that would help us stay connected to Christ in this year. A holy habit, worship. Another holy habit is reading the scriptures. Uh, You've gotten the emails this week. You've been paying attention We've decided this year we're going to read through the Bible together. We are going to mail out to you, if you subscribe to it, every morning scripture reading. And we'll all read the same passages. It's a thematic approach to reading the Bible. You'll get a reading from the Old Testament, a reading from the Gospel, a reading from one of Paul's letters. You'll get a reading from the Psalm. And each day that'll come to you. And we're all reading it together a holy habit that keeps us connected spiritually to Christ. And then there's a third one that I'll mention. And this one has to do with the scripture lesson that was read for us just a few moments ago by Elizabeth. The year was 25 AD, 1999 years ago. John the baptizer showed up and began preaching a message for the repentance of sins. And the people flocked to hearing preach. Apparently this message resonated with them. They sensed that something was missing in their life. They sensed the distance from God and they were ready to bridge that gap. And they came out and said, what do we do, John? And John said, be baptized in the Jordan River. Repent and be baptized in the Jordan River. Now, the Jordan River is not just any body of water. This is where the Israelites came as they were venturing from Egypt to the Promised Land. They came to the Jordan River, and that's where they crossed over into the Promised Land. So when they read in Mark, what Mark is saying is, this is where it all started. And we're going back and starting over again. We're making a new start in our lives. And certainly that's something I would like to see us do on this first Sunday of a new year, to make a new start with our lives. That's what we hunger for. That's what we crave in our lives. This year, our theme is rekindle the flame. Fan the fires that burn within you until it burns within you with that passion once again. So the people came out, they repented of their sins and they were baptized and that sets the stage for what happens next. Jesus shows up and goes into the water and is baptized and he comes out And the heavens open to him and the Holy Spirit descends upon him and he hears a voice from heaven saying, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Jesus was baptized. 
There are people through the centuries who have gotten hung up on how much water was used when Jesus was baptized. I mean, was, did, did John take a handful of water and sprinkle it on his head? Or did he take a bunch of water and dump it on his head? Or did he take Jesus and dunk him under the water? How much water was used? And whole denominations have been established on what people believe about how much water was used. In the Methodist church, we don't argue about the water. It's not the water that transforms our lives. It's the grace of God that does that. And the water is a symbol of that grace. So whether it's a handful of water or a whole ocean full of water, it doesn't matter to us. You'd be surprised to know that when people come to us and say, I'd like to be immersed, I'd like to be dunked under the water, we go, that's fine. We're glad to do it. Let's go find a place where we can do that. And I've baptized people in backyard swimming pools and in lakes and rivers and ocean. It doesn't matter. It's not the water that is important to us. I'll tell you what is important to us, though. It's what the water symbolizes. For water is a washing agent. It cleanses our souls. Water is at the birth of every person, and it ushers us into the new birth, a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's important to us. And the good news that I share with you is that this is the fulfillment of Scripture. For Mark, when he says the heavens open to Jesus, he doesn't say open. Did you hear what Elizabeth read? The heavens were torn open. That's the fulfillment of scripture. Isaiah chapter 64, verses one through two. The prophet says, oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down so that the mountains would quake at your presence as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil to make your name known to your adversaries so that the nations might tremble in your presence. Isaiah has a vision of the heavens being torn open and God coming down out of heaven onto earth. And what Mark is saying is that in Jesus's baptism, that's exactly what happens. That passage is fulfilled. We open a door and then we close it and the door's just like it was. But when you tear something open, when you tear a door off its hinges, the door doesn't close easily anymore. And it's not just a door that Mark has in mind. It's a curtain. In his mind, there is a curtain in heaven that separates us from God, that separates the holy from the profane. And in Jesus' baptism, that curtain is torn apart. And now we can see into heaven and God can get to us. And what Mark wants us to know is that that's not just what happened at Jesus' baptism. It also is what happens at our baptism. And every time we baptize someone at that font, we have the opportunity to remember, I too am baptized. And that remembrance maintains our connection with God and enables us to grow. Now, I can't make you grow. Uh, My grandmother uh, grew orchids. Uh, She had a greenhouse 
and she grew orchids her whole life. Beautiful, beautiful orchids. But I later learned in life, she didn't grow orchids. She could not make those bulbs um, open up. She could not make the roots go deep down into the soil. She could not make the leaves shoot up. She could not make it flower. She could not make it bloom. What she could do is control the environment. And with her greenhouse, she could control the temperature, the amount of light those flowers got, the humidity, and the amount of water they got. 365 days a year, she could control the environment. And I think about it, that's what the church does. We're a greenhouse for Christians, and God brings the growth. We provide the atmosphere. We provide the support environment that each of us needs for our roots to go deeper in Christ, for us to sprout, for us to blossom, for us to bloom, for us to produce the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That is what the church does. And we provide opportunities, holy habits for people to grow and to rekindle the flame within them. 